0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey teaches on how the Lord uses correction to engage us into a further depth of love with him. If you wanna know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. We're gonna be in Song of Solomon three. I'm going to read uh, the first half of the chapter. And then I'll give us a little recap and we'll move on through. All right, Song of Solomon 3, verse 1 from the New King James Version. By night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go. Everybody say would not. Would not let him go until I had bought him into the house of my mother, into the chamber of, him, of her who conceived me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Amen. All right. So let's go ahead and we're going to get a little review, recap of last week in chapter 2. If you remember the story where we are on our journey Uh, where she is in chapter two is she's experiencing the beauty of intimacy, the beauty of love. She's in a time of experiencing his affections for her. And uh, her heart is coming alive. Her identity is being, you know, reworked. She's coming into seeing herself as he sees her. And so he is he is Restoring her identity, or giving her her identity freshly for the first time, of, of, of beauty, and so she's experiencing bliss in intimacy, and she is experiencing his love. She's beginning to see herself as he sees her. It's powerful, and so in that place, he calls her to arise. He says, "Arise, my fair one. Come away." He says, "The winter is past. The rain is gone." We hear the sound of turtle doves. They're singing in the land. He says uh, the, the, the grapes uh, are tender on the vine. This is a time of new uh, growth. New, new birth is happening. It's a season of refreshing, a season, a season of renewal. And what's happened to her is she is shocked because she sees him in a way she's never seen him before. He comes and he's leaping on mountains and skipping on hills. And he comes as a conquering warrior. And she's not used to seeing him that way, but he's saying, come with me in conquest. It's a time for conquest for you and I together in partnership. And she is overwhelmed by seeing him this way. And so though she loves him, she is fearful because she still has gray areas in her life. And so she says, until the day breaks, until the shadows flee away, she goes, turn my beloved be like a gazelle and like a young stag. Be like that on the mountains of Beether. Beether means separation. So she says, go and you do your thing. I'm going to stay here where I'm comfortable. And she decides to say yes to being separated from him instead of partnering with him. She'd rather take separation than step with him in faith and into the unknown. And that's where we leave the story at the end of chapter 2. And chapter 3 starts off, and she says, it's, you know, by night on my bed, I was looking for the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. The New American Standard says this, night after night. And so here's what's happened. She's gone into a season where, so it's night after night. It's not just one night. It's night after night where she is stuck without his presence. She's looking for him in a familiar place, in a place of comfort and safety. She cannot find him. And so here's where she's at. She's now experiencing the separation that's due to disobedience. Have you ever been... You know, going along with the Lord. And the Lord invites you into something with him or out of something that's not him. And instead of saying yes to him, you say yes to your fear. You say yes to your lust. You say yes to your desire over what you know the Lord is leading you to for a variety of reasons, you say yes to the wrong thing, and and you say no to the right thing. And what happens immediately after that is all of a sudden, you can't feel him like you used to feel him. You ever had one of those times? Oh, man. So many times when I was a young person. Just... You know, I know God's saying, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going, uh, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I want to stay up late and watch movies all night. And I want to watch stuff on TV that Jesus died to save me from. If the shoe fits, <laughs> no one would ever do that, right, Jade? Look cat her, she's like, oh, my God. That's right, right. We're just coming after it tonight. So I would do that. I would I would do, you know, all sorts of things that my flesh wanted. He's inviting me to something else with him. I'm choosing the flesh. And then I try to pray, and I don't feel God anymore. I know none of you have ever experienced this. This is where she's at in the story. She's in this place of experiencing the pain of separation because of disobedience. And it's not just one night, it's night after night. She is now in this season of separation. And so it's nighttime, so it's cold, it's dark. She can't see, it's the absence of his presence. There's a loss of vision and clarity have you ever noticed in those seasons of disobedience when you've allowed, you know, whatever was the temptation was, you went after that instead of after him. Have you ever noticed how all of a sudden you're not hearing God, you, you can't feel God, but what you were clear about two weeks ago, you're not clear about that anymore. What you, what you were certain about, your vision was so clear. You know this was about to happen you, you, where God wanted to take you. And, and, but now that seems like it's all, you know, a mirage. It's just not real. It's amazing how when we are outside of the will of the Lord, our flesh gets so strong, but our spirit is so dull. That's the night season she's in, that dull place, no light. It's dark. It's cold. She can't see. She doesn't feel. And, and it's, it's a challenge because she's in what we would identify as divine discipline. And um, so here's what she tries to do. She wants to feel like she felt in chapter 2. So she goes, I'm going to seek the one I love. Night after night, I'm going to seek him. On my bed, where it's the most comfortable, where I'm most used to seeking him. So here's what she says. She says, okay, I'm going to go to the worship service. I'm going to go to that one set where such and such worship leader is singing. They're always singing all those songs. It's so good. I'm going to go Thursday night. Val's always popping it off. It's going to be so good. Yeah, Veronica's singing tonight. We're going to go for that. you know. And it, it, <laughs> you come in here and you're like, it's dead. But it's not dead. It's that you're Feeling dead. She tries to find him where she's used to finding him. Guess what? He's not there. Where is he? On the mountain. Because he invited her to the mountain, right? She goes to the familiar place. She can't find him. She doesn't feel him. She doesn't see him. And she's looking for spiritual intimacy without the heart of obedience. You can't have spiritual intimacy if you're carrying a heart of disobedience. By definition, those things don't mix. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, this passage is taught this way, that God takes a step back so she senses the distance I I have taught it that way, but let me be really clear. I think that's not precise. I think it's imprecise. Some people might think I'm splitting hairs, but let me be really clear. I don't think he's taking a step back from her. I think what's happened is she's taken the step away from him, right? He said, come with me. I want you with me. He never said, I don't want you with me. Stay here. He said, I want you with me. She said, you go. I'll stay. She's the one who took the step back. So in those moments of divine dis- discipline, a lot of times it feels like, oh, God has taken a step away. I'm not feeling him the way I was. It's like he stepped back from me. And, and, but that's not the case at all. It's that he's invited you to be with him. It's just that you didn't go with him where he invited you. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And that's what disobedience looks like. And that's what disobedience does. That's what the following our flesh does. When we go after the lusts of our flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, when we go after these things, all of a sudden, we get to this place where it's hard to feel God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thanks, babe. My wife's Amen in me. And so when we're in that place of following our flesh, you can't follow your flesh and follow Holy Spirit. Your flesh is at enmity with God. But listen, let's just be fair about this. Let's not put that on the Lord. Let's not say, well, he stepped away from me. Okay? This is what I realize. A lot of times when we get in sin and we don't feel the Lord, we blame God for stepping away from us. But if we're honest, we're the one that stepped away from him. Am I saying the truth? It's not him that stepped away. In fact, he promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always there willing to be with us, always inviting us to come. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. We leave him. And that is a big difference And I think this, that a lot of times when we've gotten into disobedience and we've gone the other way and all of a sudden we feel the distance, we feel the gap, we don't feel God, it's like we can't find our way back to him because we're unwilling to humble ourselves and do the last thing he invited us to do. And so we find ourselves just lost, separated. We blame God at times saying, you've left me and God's like, I didn't leave you, you left me. When y'all get quiet, I know I'm hitting the target, Ready? Y'all are like... You, know, get, you got that look on your face like you're trying to act like it's not you? I'm too perceptive for that. So he now you're trying not to look at me. So here's the thing, he uses that pain of separation to call us back into intimacy and call us back into obedience. That's why we feel it the way we feel it when we have made steps away from him. It's really important that we recognize he doesn't leave us. He's not throwing us away. He's he's not leaving us alone alone. It's the truth is we refuse to go with him. And so he uses the separation to call us back into partnership, call us back into obedience. And what happens is the the mounting desire in our heart for his presence. It helps us because you start having to do the math. You start you start trying to deduce. Was it better for me before when I was with him or is this better? Is this place of lack of vision? Everything's cold. I can't feel him anymore. Is this better than it was when I was with him? And you're, you know, if you're a Christian, you're born again, your heart goes, no, this is horrible. I hate being in this place. And then you just start going back to the archives. What was the last thing you asked me to do? And what did I do that I shouldn't have done? And then he goes, that right there, he goes, I want you to come to the mountain. You stayed in the bed, you know, come on to the mountain. You're like, where is the stinking mountain? Because I got to be with you. And that's what a lovesick heart does. And I've watched believers over so many different years. I mean, I've watched this so many different times with believers and, and, I'll, and I'll get them and I'll talk to them. And I'll go, hey, how are you doing? And I can tell their countenance is fallen. Things are, they're, they're just blurry, you know, and, and they're, they're not sharp in God anymore. And I go, what's happening? How are you? And they'll go, you know, as God, I just don't feel God like I used to. And I'll go, okay. Well, sometimes it's because we're growing up and he's, you know, it's not always shade tree. It's mountain. And the mountain sometimes feels different than shade tree, but he's still, you know, he's still there. And so I go, so talk to me about that. And then, and I'll, what happens so often, I go, I go, let's just be real. Let's just be real. Tell me the real thing. And I go, well, there's this one thing. <laughs> and then it comes out. And so then there's this compromise. And the compromise is what's got them feeling separate from his presence. A compromise into sin place of disobedience, okay? And it, that, it, the point isn't to get under shame and condemnation if you've experienced that or if you're experiencing that right now. The point isn't shame and condemnation. The point is he hasn't left you. He still wants you to be with him. He's still inviting you right back to him. I, you know, there's this thing where Christians feel like they've got to like do penance and they've got to like work off their sin. That is not how God is at all. You sin, right? You're separated from Him. The moment that you say, I want to come back, I want to be with Him, He's right there. He meets you. Forgiveness is instant on the moment of repentance, it's instantaneous you are instantly restored back into fellowship. And in that place of sin, you never lost his affection. That's a huge, huge point. And we've said it five different ways through this series. But in the place of sin, you never lost his affections. He loved you through the whole thing and wanted you with him the whole time. He never looked at you and went, Ah, I'm sick of you. That's just not how he is. He's always inviting you back. And so, in that place of disobedience, our desire for him and his presence it outweighs the, uh, you know, promise of whatever pleasure we were thought we thought we were going to get without him. And so, we finally we repent and we go, No, I don't want this. I want you. And that's really all repentance is. All repentance really is, it's it's a word that literally means an about face, a change of the mind, a change of the direction. There's there's military units that use, uh, that speak English, that use the word repent for about face to turn around. But all repentance is, is turning back to him turning away from what you've been in and turning back to him. And so that's where this, des- this desire in our heart takes or is running back to him. And I would just say this. It is God's kindness that when you're in sin, you feel that. You feel that place of separation. That's his kindness to you. Because he's trying to let you know that where I am, sin is not. Where my presence is and where the pleasure of me is, that's not in the place of disobedience. So it's his gift to us. So yeah, if you're operating a lot in the flesh, if you're in disobedience, you're not feeling God, that's how it works. I get it. I get it but I can tell you there is an instantaneous antidote for that, it's called repent, it's not a bad word. Repent is the best word, because it means I'm about to restore intimacy with him. It means I'm gonna turn away from the junk that's kept me from him, and I'm gonna be back in his arms in one millisecond. Repent is great, repentance is great where we've made repentance this like, ooh, gosh, did you see so-and-so? They had to repent. Like when we've made it like that, it's, it's completely the wrong idea. Repentance is so good. When I see people repenting, I'm like, way to go. You got right with God. That was so smart. It would've been stupid for you not to do that. You're so smart, how awesome. Like I celebrate, I'm just, I'm being a little extra, but I, I'm, I celebrate that when people repent. And I don't, I don't think, ooh you got into sin and you had to repent. Like, I don't think like that. I go, bro, we all jack it up. Every last one of us messes it up. Let's run back to him. And when you run, you run into the arms of a father who is fat, he's cooking the fatted calf ready to go. He's ready to have a celebration. That's how it is. Listen, every single time. Every time. So, in the notes, I mention it this way, that the discipline is a redemptive judgment. It's not punitive. Sometimes we get scared of this word judgment, but it is a redemptive judgment because it's geared to bring her closer in love and to cause her to be restored in intimacy. It's not punitive. It's not just there to punish her and like, you are so bad here, I'm gonna just swat you. How awful are you? It's not for that reason. It's to restore, it's to restore intimacy and love. It's redemptive. Here's what I want you to get. Some of you um, are married. Some of you are going to be married shortly. Some of you are going to have children sometime, somewhere, someplace. Here's the point. When you discipline your kids, look for the path of redemption. Look for the way out of the failure to bring them to a place of blessing when they repent, because that's how God does it. He's always looking to bring you to the place of blessing. Okay? So uh, here's what I really want you to catch. That God's correction of you is not his rejection of you. Some of you knew that bar was coming. gods. (laughs) Gods. <laughs> I feel like y'all are trying hard not to laugh at me. I feel like y'all used to laugh a lot more at me. And then y'all got y'all got used to my jokes like it took only a few months. I'm bummed. I'm not I'm not gonna try to show out. I'm just gonna be me, but y'all are like, oh, it's funny, I know. It's cute. He's old, it's cute. But they they okay, so they uh They mistake that God's displeasure. Listen, here. this is the point. His displeasure with your actions is not his displeasure with you. His displeasure with your actions is not his displeasure with you. He still loves you exactly the same in the sin as he did before the sin. And here's something about God that's fantastic. He actually knows what's going to happen tomorrow. All right? So tonight, you're in worship. You're, like, feeling the Lord. It's awesome. Tomorrow, you're out in traffic, and, you know, somebody cuts you off, and your flesh rises up, and you say, fudge you. Don't say that. But, you know, you say something bad, and and in that moment, you're like, ah. I'm not a Christian anymore. I said the fudge. And, and here's the thing. Don't say fudge or the other word. You know what I'm talking about. Here's the point. Tonight when you're in worship and you're feeling the presence of God, he knows you're going to get cut off in traffic tomorrow. Okay? He's equally there as he is here. He's God. He doesn't love you less when you sin. He's not displeased with you. He's displeased with the action. It's a big difference. Does that make sense? Oh, don't put the fudge thing on the internet. At least, Alicia's over there videoing me. That's, that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> Let's just get this off the podcast. Right, help me out. Let's fix that one. All right. Yeah, that's just, that was just for y'all. Just feel the honor and the love of that. It's not going to show up on Sunday morning. Yeah, maybe that should come up on the internet. We can do that one. All right, so here's my point, and I really want you to feel this. Even tonight, even if you're sitting in here, you're in a, and you're in a place of disobedience or compromise, and you're, you're somewhere where he is not leading you, He is not displeased with you. He loves you and wants you. He's not pleased with the actions of disobedience. But he's not displeased with you. And man, it's so easy when you're in that place to mistake his displeasure with your sin as his displeasure with you. And that's just not it. Am I making sense? So Hebrews 12 says this. That whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects. That's the word. Whom he loves, he corrects. I really want you to get to this because it will change. It will change the way you perceive God's correction in your life. Whom he loves, he corrects. And then it goes on to say if you are without chastening, if you're without correction, then you are illegitimate. All right. So number one, he's correcting you, not because he's angry at you. He's correcting you because he loves you. Okay, that's number one. Number two, the fact that God corrects you when you're disobedient is a sign of your legitimacy in your relationship with God. It's a sign of the authenticity of your relationship with him. And so uh, to think of his correction as anything but his deep affection for you is to think of it in a completely wrong idea. Am I making sense? And so many believers walk around and they they, are, they have a, what I would say is an excessive fear of God. Now, you have to have a fear of God, a reverence for God, a reverence of who he is, his wonders, grandeur, his power, his majesty. We should reverence God. But we should not be walking around afraid of God. Okay? And so we're afraid that he's going to judge us. This is kind of just where the language goes. But when God's judgment is on his own children, it's his correction and his discipline. And when God does discipline to his children, it's a sign of his love, not of his rejection. And so the idea is this, that we reverence who he is. We experience the affections of him. We know he adores us. When we disobey, we feel all of that, but we're not afraid to run back to him. When your reverence for God turns into fear, being afraid of him, you won't run to him in a season of correction. You'll keep running away. That's not who he is. He's always wanting love. He's always wanting relationship. His displeasure with your actions is not his displeasure with you. Is this making sense? You know, I think about it. Like, is that how you experience God's correction in your life? Is that how you think about it? When you sin, when you've blown it, when you've been disobedient, is that how you think about it? Do you, or do you feel like God just, you know, he must hate me now because I've screwed it all up. See, if you think of God's correction in your life the way I just described it, like he must hate you now, you don't know him at all, because he always wants to be with you. And so that place of disobedience, that place of pain, that place, that sense of loss without his presence, that's geared to get you to run right back to it. And I was praying in the prayer room earlier, like I told you, and I was in this place of being distracted. And um, I started praying this out of my mouth, and I feel like this is a word for some people in here tonight. I started praying, you will never leave me nor forsake me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And then that another scripture came up. Lo, I am with you always. You will never leave me nor forsake me. And then the other one, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I felt strongly like there are some of you in here and you felt, I knew that you'd be here. I felt like when I was praying, this was a word for some of you that you're in here right now and you've gone through these seasons of disobedience and in those seasons of disobedience, it got dark, it got bad, it got it became a mess and it took you a while to get back up out of that and because of the absence of his presence in those seasons of disobedience, you felt like he left you. And he wants you to know he's never left. He doesn't do that. Lo, I'm with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's who Jesus is. Our challenge is we leave him. We leave him. If we're honest. And the entire time, He's going, come back, come back, come back. Am I making sense? Some of you, I know that's that's touching you right now because you can remember that season of time where you felt like he left you. And maybe the enemy beats you up with that from time to time and says, see God, he's going to leave you because you're a failure. That's a lie. It's not what he's like. Does that make sense? So verse two, that was verse one. Verse two. (laughs) She goes, I will rise now. I will rise now. Some of you, it's time to rise. Some of you, the disobedience has held you down too long. The rebellion has held you down too long. The fear has held you down too long. You've continued to go through the motions because you know it's right. You know you're not running off away from Jesus, but those those gray areas, those little foxes, you've given into those things, and you're just going along with that. And I'm telling you, he is. His, he's saying to you, rise, come away. And she says it, I will rise now. I will rise now. I got to say this. Acting in disobedience now because someone else did you wrong in the past doesn't fix the wrong of the past, nor does it justify your wrong now. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Somebody did me dirty here, so that's why I'm acting dirty now, right? That doesn't, it's not like the two minuses make this one a plus. That doesn't fix being done wrong back here, nor does it justify this one up here. And I just feel like the Lord is saying, rise, rise now rise now. And she says, I will rise now. I will rise now. And I'll go about the city. I'll go about the streets. I'll go about the squares. I'm going to look for him everywhere. I'm going to go find him wherever he's at. I will seek the one I love. She comes back to her senses. She goes, what am I doing? I love him. I don't love this. I don't love being separated from him. What am I doing? I will rise now and I will seek the one I love. Guys, I will seek the one I love. Let that be the desire that compels your every action. I will seek the one I love. I will seek the one I love will keep you out of lust. It will keep you out of drug addiction. It will keep you out of every snare that the enemy has set for you. It will keep you out of disobedience. Love and pursuing Jesus for love will keep you out of every compromise. Remember who you are when the temptation is beating on your head, when the enemy is right here shouting at you and there's no one around to stop you. Remember who you are. You're one who loves him. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Say this to yourself. I will rise now. I will rise now. I'll come out of it, and I'm going to seek him in the city and in the streets and the squares. I'm going to look for him everywhere and anywhere. I will rise now. Some of you, the enemy has tried to, he's tried to talk you into being the person you used to be. And that's not who you are. You're the rose. You're the lily. He says, rise, my fair one, and come away. She says, I will seek the one I love. And it's this moment, this is the moment of repentance. This is her answer to his invitation. She's finally answering, better late than never, amen. Better late than never. Song of Solomon 2, 13, rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. She goes, eh, go to Beether. (laughs) She goes, wait, it's bad with you at Beether. I'll rise, I will. So she's obeying, praise God. It's delayed, but it's obedience now. She repents, she seeks him. Now, when you repent and you say yes to Jesus instantaneously, fellowship is restored instantaneously. But what you, what you see with her is, she says, I, I, I sought the one I love, watch, but I did not find him. You know what i found in seasons where I've been in disobedience and when I've been in compromise? You know what i found? I'll repent, but it doesn't always feel like it did a minute ago. Like, like, it, like it used to be. It doesn't always instantaneously feel like that. She continues to rise and seek him. And all of a sudden, she's looking for him. And and, and she says, the the watchmen who, who go about the city, they found me. She said to them, have you seen the one I love? She's asking for help. Sometimes when you're in that place, and you've been in disobedience, and you're unwilling to ask somebody for help, that's your your way to find him, because you're gonna find this. As soon as she says, have you seen the one I love? She goes, scarcely did I pass by them, and I found him. It wasn't even that they directed her back to him. It was that she was willing to humble herself and ask for help. can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to Christians and they're unwilling to admit sin and ask for help. Can I just call it what it is? It's just pride. And pride will keep you bound. It will keep you locked down. As soon as she says, have you seen him? She's saying, where is he? Anywhere, show me, I'll go. City, square, I'll go. You tell me where he's at, I'm there. And as soon as she passed by them, there he is. I found him. When I found the one I love, I love it. She says, I held him and I would not let him go. She humbles herself and she admits her need, and then she encounters him again. And friends, that that portion of the chapter, it is there to show us the path back to him when we've been in a season of disobedience. It's there to tell us that he's always there He's always wanting to meet us. He hasn't left you. He doesn't do that. We leave him. Let's just not get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? Let's just not get this thing twisted. We leave him. He doesn't leave us. And so her seeking results and a fresh encounter with him, this time of separation, it produced what I like to call a holy violence. How many want a little holy violence? I want some holy violence. And so there's this place where she has determined that whatever it takes, she's going to be with him. And she realized this, that being away from him is far worse than being Anywhere scary with him. (laughs) Being on the water with Jesus is way better than being where I think safety is in the boat. I'd way rather be on the water with Jesus. And so this becomes the outcome in her life. She is determined. She's unwilling to ever leave him again. And she's not looking at her own comfort, her own lust, and her own way of doing things as the answer anymore. It's a massive shift in the whole story because she says, when I found him, I wouldn't let him go. When I found him, I wouldn't let him go. Some of you, you're there. You've been through those seasons of divine disobedience and divine discipline and you've come through that and you've come back to the Lord and you're like I'll never do that again it was a wreck some of you are you're still kind of there you're you're toying with him being on the mountain of Beether and you doing your own thing You're trying to normalize the pain of compromise. You're trying to normalize being lukewarm. I will tell you, the biggest problem with the American church is we've normalized lukewarm Christianity and multiplied it. And so we don't call it sin anymore. We call it issues. And we don't call it rebellion anymore. We just call it my, my preference oh. <laughs> Get em, Lord. Get em. And, and it's a huge problem, because honestly, like some of y'all came up in Christian schools. You went to a Christian school and you couldn't even find like a legit Christian in the Christian school. What is going on? What I mean, look, I'm not trying to shade anybody, like, but what's the deal? The deal is we've normalized non-breakthrough Christianity, cotton candy version of serving Jesus. We've made it about everybody's preferences and everybody's, you know, own desires instead of His will. And instead of following Jesus, no matter where he is, we want him to come with us wherever we want to be. We want to salt Jesus onto our lives and continue to continue to do whatever we want. And we want to call that Christianity. And we imagine it's church because we put the name church on the building and Jesus is no more Lord than Mickey Mouse. In fact, Mickey Mouse is probably more Lord in some of those places. we got to feel the pain of that lukewarmness and that separation. That thing has got to hit us so that we run to him. I never want that anymore. I want him. And that, that place that she gets to, when I found him, I wouldn't let him go. That's, that's it right there. It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we don't make mistakes. It's that we don't normalize our lukewarmness and our compromise. Okay? And that when we come out of sin, we run hard after Jesus. We don't go beating ourselves up. We don't go back into the room. Of, we don't come out of sin and into shame. We come out of sin and into Jesus. Okay? And we come into his love and we come into the beauty of the way he feels about us and the way he thinks about us. And we come into the wonder of him again and we come into that place to refresh me, sustain me. We come into that again and we realize this was so much better. Your love is better than wine. I knew it was true, but I know it again. The last half of the chapter, I put it in your notes. I'm not going to teach it. I just want to preach it to you. The scene changes, and he shows up, and he's riding a palanquin. He's being carried by 60 armed guards. And the palanquin, it represents the gospel. It represents being carried by the king. It represents his love that's redeemed us. That's what the palanquin is. You've, you've seen it in movies, like they got the guys and they're carrying the thing on the shoulder, and then the the king or the the queen is sitting in this in this like luxuriant couch. Well, they used to have big ones in those Eastern kings. They would have you know them and their bride, and they'd be carried by all these soldiers, and and so they're always because that was an easy target. Those things are always surrounded by many many armed men, and in the story, it's sixty armed guards, three times the normal battalion, and and, and he says. It's paved by love. It's made by love. And it's made out of the cedars of Lebanon. It speaks of the cross. The gospel carriage, the cross carriage is made by him for you. And it's surrounded with an angelic host. And that angelic host, it does warfare on our behalf. It keeps us safe. And here's the point. The reason why he shows up in this way with this armed guard and this beautiful carriage ready to carry the the bride, ready to carry you and I with him again, restoring her into fellowship. The reason why he shows up like that is this. He wants her to know after the season of separation, she hasn't lost any. The very, the very thing she thinks she's lost is him and his love and his beauty. And he goes, no, no, no. Look, look, this is us. We get to be on this couch together. This is the gospel carriage. This is what the cross has done. It's bought you and me together for good. And it says it was the day of the gladness of his heart, the day of the wedding. You and I, we're worried about the moment of disobedience and all he's thinking about is, get back in the carriage with me because you and I are going to a wedding. Your big 50 issues that you're just obsessing about, he's going, come to me. Rise up and come to me. Get in the carriage with me. And he wants you to know You're safe. The scene changes. He shows up with the gospel couch. And the face that he shows is the safe savior. Out of the season of discipline, he is showing himself as safe. Some of you really, really need to know that tonight. Your mom may not have been safe. Your dad may not have been safe. Your old pastor may not have been safe. Your coach may not have been safe. And every time you maybe have ever been disciplined, maybe it was in anger. Maybe maybe it was abusive. And you know, I want to tell you that was never, ever, ever Jesus. He's never flown off the handle at you. He's never disciplined you out of anger. And he's never disciplined you just to punish you. Whenever there's been correction, it's because he wants to restore intimacy and love. And he is safe. your garbage on display in front of him, he's safe. Your most shameful secret, it's never thrown him off, he's safe. That's the beauty of who he is and the wonder of what it means to be confident in love. I would have thrown me away because of the amount of sin and failures that I've committed in my life. He would never have thrown me away. You're not trying to get him, to convince him to keep you. He's trying to convince you to come back and get on the couch with him. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you. safe. You can trust him. He wants to be with you. Because all he's thinking about with you is the day of the gladness of his heart. The day he gets to spend without any veils, eternity with you. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. Rise up, my love. Rise up, my love, my fair one. Come away. I will rise now. I will rise now. First call tonight, if you're saying, I will rise now, You're recognizing areas of disobedience, compromise. I know we talked about it last week, but even maybe this week, it's come more clear. And you're saying, I will rise now. I'm ready to turn away from that and turn to Jesus. Look, repent is a good word. It's a good word. You're saying, I will rise now. I want you to step up from where you're standing. Come down here. I will rise now. I will rise now. I'm running back into fellowship. I'm running out of disobedience, and I'm running into Jesus. I'm not stepping out of compromise and into shame, I'm stepping into Jesus and into intimacy. If you'd say, I have not felt like he's safe. I felt like he left me but I realize now that's a lie and I want to recognize that before him that I know he's safe And I'm sorry for blaming him. I want you to step up from where you are come down. Just meet him in this altar for a few moments. You'd say to him, I know you're safe. I had it wrong. I had it wrong. I know you're safe. Forgive me, Lord, I love you. Lord, we love you. Just look right at him. Lord, wash us. We turn away from sin and disobedience. We don't want you to go on the mountain of Beethor. We want to be with you where you are. I will rise now. When I found him, I wouldn't let him go. I wouldn't let him go. Some of you just need to tell him right now, I won't let you go, Jesus. Some of you that have been fearful and didn't feel like the Lord was safe right now, you need to just tell Him, Lord, I know you're safe. I'm sorry I blamed you. I know you never left me. I've left you, but you've never left me. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet us. Meet us, Holy Spirit. Meet us, Holy Spirit. Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Just let him pour his love over your heart right now. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next message.